My prayer is you're going to be inspired today. In the seat in front of you, if you will go ahead and get a green card that's been prepared for you, it says, what do you want God to do for you? And hold that in your hand. I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready to pass out some pens, but you're going to need a pen or something to write with. So go ahead and grab that too, if you don't mind, so that we're already kind of ahead of the ball game. Uh, over here on the sound booth, Sam, Sam will come by and just give a pen to each row. So if you, at least every row will have a pen or so if you need to write with, but let your neighbor borrow one if you did not bring one. And these are very important. So grab one and hold on to it because I'm going to ask everybody to participate today. So we'll all need it. But I'll explain it in just a moment of what it's going to be today. If you'll look at the TV now, we're in a series called Supernatural Nonsense, and it's all built around this thing called religion. And is church and God and this thing we do, we call it religion, versus the wisdom of God. And we've been talking about it. This is week five. These are the typical things we do when we gather in a religious setting. We sing, pray, we have community together, we teach, we have communion, and we typically do the giving. And we're going through these because if we're not careful, it just becomes a religious service. We call it church or whatever it would be, depending on what religion we're talking about. But for our sake, it's Christianity. It becomes a Sunday service. Where are you going to go to church? Who's your pastor? Uh, what denomination are you? And if we're not careful, what we've said is we miss the wisdom of God in it for the religion of man. And how many of you know, if you just take the religion of man, it can be very sketchy what we do here. But if you take the wisdom of God, there's something supernatural in every one of these, and that's what I've been pulling out. Here's what we've said. We'll go through them quickly. Giving is supernatural because it connects us to God's supernatural intervention. Communion connects us to a supernatural covenant. At the end of church today, what we're doing specifically every week is we're taking our giving and our communion very intentional because it's supernatural. It's not just you dropping a dollar in a basket. If It doesn't matter what amount it is. If you're giving it to God, it's connected to supernatural intervention. Communion is not just a piece of bread dipped in juice and then you walk home. Communion is a way to connect you to God's supernatural covenant. Uh, the teaching that whoever stands up here and does is connect you to Christ. We're to learn about His work. It connects us to Him. And then community, which is what we just did. We hugged some necks. We're in groups together. It connects you to the supernatural body of Christ, meaning everybody in here, if you're born again, plays a part in someone else's journey. You can offer healing and help and assistance and discipleship. And today we're going to talk about probably the most difficult one, prayer. I try to tackle this in a very meaningful way because it's a little frightening to talk about prayer when there's so much out there. And there's people out there who know far greater than I on the subject of prayer. Uh, and I could just encourage you to go Google books on prayer and you could keep yourself busy for 30 years on why pray, how to pray, types of prayers, uh, what to do, how to do it. You know, there's just books everywhere on it. So what I've tried to do today is I've tried to take this topic that can be difficult, or I won't say difficult, but I'll say broad reaching. We could talk on prayer for a year and probably not exhaust the, the questions that would arise. But I want to teach it today from my heart and what I've learned about it and what I've come to know about prayer and it, so it doesn't come from a book, it comes from my journey with God. And it comes from what I've worked out. I will say that when it comes to praying, it has been one of the most difficult subjects to talk to people about as a pastor. Uh, because it just always comes up, what do I think about prayer? So now, with the card in your hand, flip it over and I want you to write, what do you want God to do for you? Think about it, though. Don't, don't be quip about it. If you need a pen, raise your hand. They'll make sure you get one if we've got an extra one. But I, I would like everybody writing. I'll take a little time here just to... We can always edit a video. But I want to give you a moment to write it down. Very important. 
while you write. Prayer is interesting to me because it's humanity talking to divinity. And most of the time, prayer is connected to a need that I have and a desire that I have. I want the divinity, the divine, to do something for me. And most of that can be in a crisis moment. It can be, I need him to do something. And so we say, well, pray about it. Or would you pray for me? Or, hey, I'm just, I need prayer. You'll see it all the time in social media. People post, so-and-so's sick, so-and-so's been in a wreck. Uh, uh, you know, a tornado's coming. Pray, saints, pray. You know, my dog got lost. Pray that we can find them. My child needs to get in college. Pray that they can get in college. My husband's leaving me. Pray that he'll come back. Uh, my mom is sick with cancer, pray she gets well. I could spend, uh, you know, probably a, most of the day today just going through things like that over the years, pastoring the prayer requests that have been given to me and to Robin, uh, sometimes in great desperation. Uh, the gentleman that showed up in my front yard that I barely knew and knocked on my door and said, are you the preacher at Believer's Church? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I, I need you to pray for me because my wife is having an affair and she may be leaving me. And so I did. I offered the prayer. It was coming in desperation. Tears were in his eyes. He was shaking as we prayed. I had another gentleman come in my office one day and he walked in and he sat down visibly disturbed and he put a loaded forty-five pistol on my desk and he said... You have five minutes to talk me out of murdering the man that's been sleeping with my wife. I know where he's at and I'm going to kill him. How many of you know when a human holding a loaded 45 gives you five minutes, you better pray? <laughs> I guess it worked because he didn't kill him. And the Holy Spirit intervened. It's no different than at two in the morning to get a phone call that says, I need you to come to the ER now. Well, what's going on? My husband is dead. They're trying to revive him now. Pastor, 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 please. Thanksgiving morning at 7 in the morning, a phone call. Pastor Mark, oh my God, my 16-year-old daughter's dead today. Please pray. She was in a car wreck this morning coming home for Thanksgiving and she's dead on the side of the road. I've been in it long enough to know that prayer comes in desperate times. It's when we reach the end of our humanity that we need help outside of it because we humans are good at self-help. We can medicate it. We can talk about it. We can take all the addictions to try to stave it off. But I'll say this about all the addictions and medicines and things that we do. They ultimately wear off and humans usually find themselves needing some type of power outside themselves. And that could be wherever they turn, but Christianity says it's God. Now, I hope I gave you enough time to write. I need you to turn it and look at it. Just put your eyes on it because I'm going to ask another question. And I want you to get it in your heart. I want you to look at this very meaningful. Now take your hands and just close it together like you're, you're covering it. All right, and now I need you to look at the TV. What if God doesn't do it? Because this becomes the greatest challenge of Christianity. What if He doesn't do it? What are you going to do? Because in this thinking is the challenge of prayer. It's not a challenge to tell Sam to pray. The challenge is when Sam comes back and says, but he didn't do it. I can tell everybody in the room, I can say, Rosa, go home and pray. And Rosa comes back and said, I did, but God did not do it. And so the reality of when God doesn't do it, people feel abandoned. Where is God? I thought you told me he was real. I thought you told me he existed. Why doesn't he answer my prayer? And people feel abandoned. I've, I've had to answer that. I've had to answer it to the woman who's crying 
who feels like God let her down because he didn't spare her marriage, because she married the other fellow. So people become disappointed. Why would I pray? I guess it would be the same as the guy that is the number one batter in the Major League Baseball to come back to the dugout and go, I'm never going to bat again. Why? Because I struck out. But disappointment is powerful because a disappointed Christian, when God doesn't do what they want Him to, a disappointed Christian will just stop praying. Well, it doesn't work, so why pray? And then disappointment gets into anger. We become mad at God. I can't tell you how many people have been angry at God. Pastor, tell me why. Tell me why He didn't do it for me. Why did He do it for them, but He did not do it for me? Why did they tell me to bring my prayer? And I brought my prayer. I had the elders pray over it. I had the prayer team pray over it. And everybody else seemingly got the answer but me. It's no different when I was going down to the jail and I was ministering in the jail in Sylvania and there was a bunch of guys there and I was asking them, what prayer, what can I pray, what can I pray? Pastor, here's what I need. I need to get out. And I'm like, okay, uh, man, you obviously think I got a lot of pull with the big guy upstairs. But that's what I'll pray. But do you know what happened when the preacher would pray and the judge wouldn't let him go? They would get angry. Why didn't God get me out? Why didn't God give me favor? Why didn't God do for me what you said he was going to do? And then people become confused. They become confused because in their soul, if they're a Christian, they believe in God, but they become confused because... What is this God doing? What's His existence? I thought He existed to, to, to answer all my prayers. I thought the reason God was in the game was to do it for me. So we become very confused, and I would say that many Christians are confused to who God is, and if we really tackled the subject of prayer, and I'm including myself, most of us in the room would be confused about prayer. Because all I would have to say is, why does He not heal everybody? And then we're just going to debate that forever. Well, there's not enough faith. They didn't have enough faith. If they had enough faith, they didn't make a confession. They're reaping what they sow. It's a devil. We need to cast out a devil. Well, they didn't fast. They should fast. They need to pray. Well, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, it could, it could move mountains. Well, I had mustard seed faith. My mountain didn't move. And then we all get confused. Who's right? And then you, you establish denominations. Denominations that say, hey, you can get anything by faith and confession. And other denominations that say, no, it's just the will of God. It's whatever He wants to do. So one denomination says, pray if it be thy will. And the other denomination says, no, it is His will. And then you got to pick which book you want to read and try to figure it out. But then if He doesn't really answer them, you start getting depressed. Because if God doesn't answer what I want, I feel, I feel depressed, I feel hopeless, I feel frustrated. And then, agnostic. It's the depth of I don't even know if God really is there. I mean, I do, but I don't. There's no way to be certain. I mean, I guess He is. My mom said He was, and the preacher says He is, but I don't know. I'm not, not going to go all out and say He's not there, but I don't see any evidence He's there. And then we can argue that. Oh, there's evidence in the trees and the birds and the clouds and the sky. But their evidence is he didn't do what I asked him to do. And if this great being of the sky does not do what I asked him to do over a long enough period of time, well then I'm probably just atheist. He doesn't even exist. So when a human doesn't get what they want out of God, you can see real quickly how discouraging it can become. Because I would love to say all us Christians are batting a thousand, but I've not met one yet that has gotten every prayer answered. But yet the room is still filled with people that believe in Him. So, do we serve a God that's not batting a thousand and we serve Him? Because that wouldn't be God to me. So, if we're not careful, that card I wrote determines real quickly if he doesn't do it, what are you going to do? 
be ticked, give up, throw in the towel, become another religion, go grab the bottle. So what I would like to do is walk you through 30-something years of pastoring and why I even believe you should pray when it seems like a crapshoot many times. You might get healed, you might not. You could, you... But at the same time, then why do we pray? Why not just let it go and let God just do whatever God's going to do because that's what He's going to do anyway. Well, I'll try to teach that to you today. I want to go back to the book of Genesis and ask a third question. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God, this is Adam and Eve, walking in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man after they had sinned. They hid themselves from the presence of God. God asked a question, Adam, where are you? I wrote this thought down, don't let your crisis define God's character. If you are not careful, your crisis will determine the character of the Creator. And just so we all are humble in this room, His character was established far greater before your, before your crisis. And if Mark is not careful, I will exalt my crisis to lordship. And my crisis becomes my God. It, it manipulates me, it, it, it moves me, it, it irritates me, it controls my emotions, it controls my day, it controls my attitude, so that my crisis has become my Lord. I've I, my, my life is defined by my crisis. Every time I pray, my crisis is at the top of the list. I'm not opposed to that by any means, but I am trying to be thoughtful that all humans, me included, when the crisis hits, it does move to the top of the list. And if I'm not careful and God doesn't answer my list, I can often redefine His character and cause His character to be defined by my crisis. And I will say again, his character was in existence long before your crisis ever came into existence. So at every point of my prayer, I have to pull my crisis to his character. Otherwise, I won't pray. I'll be too frustrated. I list the list. So I want to ask what God asked the first question to humans. I want to ask us, some 6,000 years removed from that moment, where are you? Now, I don't think it's they were lost, right? This is not a teaching on Genesis, but I don't think they were lost. They were still in the garden. But, but his comment, God to them, his question is, where are you? Because God saw that they had misaligned themselves with his character. Because it says they were afraid of him now. So their crisis caused a fear, and the fear was not legit, and so they hid themselves. And when God shows up, He's like, dude, where are you? Like, your crisis has moved you to a place that's not even in line with my character. Now, I know this to be true, and I'm not putting anybody down because I'm in the game with you. I'm talking to myself as well. I know this about us humans. That crisis has such power that if not careful, Mark will align himself under the crisis and I will be so skewed from his character that I'm just hiding out in all things God, but there's no presence of God. I'm still religious, but there's no power in my life. There's no, there's no visible manifestation that I belong to him anymore. I'm still in the garden, still among the trees he created, but my crisis skewed his character so much, I don't even see myself as belonging to him. I'm now hiding from him. 
So what I want to do is I want to walk you through 30 plus years of Mark. I, I wish I, I've never done this statistically. I, I have prayed a lot of prayers in 33 years. I've had some answered and I had some not, from my perspective, not answered. And I try to balance that out and then offer it to us today. But I want to ask, where are you? Now, here's my thought behind it. I don't want to know where you are in your crisis. Everybody in the room probably wrote one. And some could be desperate than others on that card you wrote. But what I want to ask is, is where is this card in your mind in relation to his character? So when I say, where are you? I'm not talking about the crisis you wrote down. I'm talking about what you think about God. Because if what you think about God is wrong, your prayer is going to be perceived wrong. Because if my, my thinking of his character is wrong, if I do pray, I'm going to pray more of a victim than a victor. And if my thinking of his character is wrong, I'm going to pray more of, oh my God, I'm in trouble, rather than uh, he's, he's the creator of it all. My, it just shifts the way I even pray. I, I pray in fear if I don't understand his character, or I pray in faith if I do understand his character. So how I pray is determined on how I view his character. So if I'm not careful and I'm praying experience and results, I pray very timid, fearful, victimized prayers. Oh God, please. Please God. Just God, oh God. It's just one thing. If you just do one thing. Well, the reason I pray that way is not because the crisis is not powerful and hurts. Crisis hurt. They, they're emotional. They're connected to our soul. But I pray that way because somehow the crisis has defined God versus God defining Himself. So what I've done is I've taken a passage of Scripture very meaningful to me over the years it has nothing to do with prayer. You're welcome. <laughs> but it has to do with the defining of His character that once you get it would cause you to pray. Now, the story is taken from Hosea in a nutshell. Hosea is a prophet that God says, go marry a hooker. Gotta love the Bible. Go marry this hooker, sleep with her, have kids with her, ditch her, let her go sleep with other men, go remarry her again, bring her back. And the reason God did that is He was trying to give an object lesson of His great overwhelming compassion for rebellious people. It, I would encourage you to read it. It is a great read, but it reads because you realize how, whew, how overwhelmingly compassionate God is. Oh, now come on. He should have nuked all of you by now. Me included. You think I'm standing up here and he's going, that's a good old boy. He should have nuked me a long time ago. And he still lets me live here on his planet because he's a compassionate God. So I want to take you through a story of a hooker, Hosea and a hooker, to define God's character. Preacher told us to pray by telling us about a hooker. <laughs> Hosea chapter 2, but then this is God, don't you love Him? I'll win her back once again and I'll lead her into the desert. But in the middle of the desert, I'm going to speak how? Arrogantly? Tenderly. You need to ditch this thing that God's always mad at you. And He's trying to prove something to you. God's not ticked at anybody in this room. His tickiness was put on the back of His Son. You want to know when God's tickiness was settled on the back of the Son. He'll speak tenderly to her. And I will return her vineyards to her and I'll transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Come on, somebody. 
and she will give herself to me. You see, there's something about coming to understand God, giving yourself to God when you understand the kind of God He is. Because she won't give herself to Him until she's understand He's leading me and speaking to me tenderly and He's transforming my trouble into hope. And then when people start realizing who He really is, they easily start giving themselves. They don't come as a crisis, they come as a creature. Because here's the truth. You wrote down one crisis prayer on that card. I'll help you. Your entire life is a crisis. That's why you're the offering. Your little green card is not the offering. That is the crisis prayer. Your life is the offering. Because God knows He'll answer this one. You'll bring Him five more tomorrow. Come on, He's not a dumb God. He'll answer all of these, and you'll, if, if He answered every one of them, you'd come back next week with friends going, fill that green card out. Oh my God, fill the green card out. Oh. And you would come to church. You wouldn't even care who's preaching about Where's my green card? Come on, be honest with me. Everybody in the room. Me too. I'll be, give me my card. I don't care what music they sing. Give me my card. Because if God answers that card, baby, you know you're coming back for round two. And you'll be all smug Monday like, you just come to me because give me your card. Mm-mm. Ain't nothing. Mm-mm, honey, nothing. Give me your card. Like, like that's how we would be. Let's, let's just be honest. We would be arrogant for a little while. But when God, watch though, but when God does it, you want to give yourself to Him. He knows that. So the devil knows if he can get you to have a, a skewed view of his character, you'll never want to give yourself. You'll always chase yourself. You'll always chase other answers and other addictions and other fixes. So I just wrote them down for you. Where are you? Well, he's a transforming God. He's a leading God. He's a speaking God. He... So in the middle of your crisis right now, grab that. I need you to put your eyes on it. Focus on that prayer. And right now, rather than the crisis, I want you to start seeing He's a transforming God. Transforming means it doesn't always happen overnight, but oh, you give it to Him long enough. Transforming means it's okay to come back again and again and again because you know that He can do it if anybody can do it. He can transform my trouble and bring it unto a testimony. And see, when you forget He's a transforming God, you'll quit praying. And you'll start trying to transform it. You'll start manipulating it. You'll start trying to act different. He's the transforming. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Now, in the middle of that prayer, that crisis that you're giving, you have to start believing, even though I don't see the result yet, I have to believe that He's leading me. Because a lot of people are so focused on the result, they miss all this. They miss the fact that in the middle of the prayer, He's trying to lead you into being more mature of a Christian. He's trying to lead you to stop pouting all the time. He's trying to lead you to forgive the very thing you're praying for. And in the middle of that, where are you? Most of us don't hear God speaking because we don't shut up. It's always us talking. I just want to tell you, God, what I think you ought to do. And God's like, shut up and let me talk a minute. So in the middle of the crisis, who's talking more, you or him? Because I find when it's a crisis prayer, I just need him to listen. Let me do all the talking. But in the middle of the crisis, he says, no, I want to speak. In a crisis prayer that you've presented to God, have you ever stopped long enough before you presented the prayer to say, God, 
why don't, before I present this, why don't you talk to me first? That may even change how we present the prayer. If he's speaking first. And then really not give your prayer. Give yourself. Because if I give myself, I get all the crisis prayers. There they are, all of them. Just Now to be honest, I don't know one parent that answers 100% of every child's request. If you are, I will show you a brat. And we're raising a lot of them. But the likelihood that any parent gives any child at any time their request. So it tells me that I must trust that there's something bigger. Let's keep reading. He says, I'm going to make you my wife forever. This is a hooker. And I'm going to show you righteousness and justice and unfailing love and compassion. Look, he didn't say I'm going to show you trouble and misery and pain and disease. This is a hooker. I'm going to make you mine forever, you little hooker. But what I'm going to do is I'm not just going to sit there and put you down and tell you how you deserve to be treated. I'm going to show you righteousness, justice, unfailing love and compassion. And I will be faithful to you and make you mine. I don't know many fellas that are happy to go post they married a hooker. I don't want to, my, my wife slept with 900 other men. I don't want that. And God's like, ah, don't worry, I'm going to be faithful to you and make you mine. And I love this, you will finally, can't you hear his voice in that? You will finally get your prayers answered. No. You will finally have every request honored. No. He says this, you'll finally know me. I would like to ask this question. Do you only know him because he answers a crisis? Or do you know him before you ever present the crisis? God doesn't want to be a prayer answering God. He wants to be a known God. He wants you to know him. So that when you present that prayer to him and you let it go, God, there it is. I'm not worried. I ain't fretting. I'm not nervous. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against this day. Well, the lump's still there. Honey, I ain't even remotely worried about a lump. I have already taken the lump and I have given it over to my God. Well, what if he doesn't heal you? I didn't give it to him hoping he would heal me. I gave it to him because I'm his and he is mine. And I trust him emphatically. Well, if he doesn't heal you, you're still going to serve him. Did you not just hear what I said? I am his and he is mine. He is my lover, my husband, my Lord, my creator. And I'll tell you this, he is ever faithful. And if the lump comes off the back of my neck, he's ever faithful. And if they bury me six foot under and said, peace be to Mark Evans, he is ever faithful because I will close my eyes. And when I close my eyes and open them, I'm in front of the Lamb of God going, come on home, boy. He is ever faithful. Get out of this. He's only faithful if he does what you ask him to do. He is faithful. There's not one person in eternity going, I got ripped off. Well, unless they're in hell, I guess. I don't know. He's forever faithful. Say that again, Rosa. That may, woo. Preach it, girl. He's faithful. Now listen to me carefully. I want to explain something real quickly. I put faithful forever because sometimes when he doesn't answer the prayer, he doesn't feel faithful. That means that there'll be some prayers you pray that you'll only notice His faithfulness when you get into the forever. Prayers that you have prayed that aren't even about you, they're about your grandchildren that you'll never see. Your great-grandchildren. 
Some of you are probably here today because a grandmother prayed for you. Because God is faithful forever. Oh, that grandmama praying and nothing's happening, but when she died, he's faithful forever. And now her prayers are being answered and there sits grand boy right there on the front row. He's faithful forever. 1989, May 19th, my wife Monica was killed by a drunk driver. I got the telephone call. I had to go into the morgue. I had to look at her body. I had to identify, yes, that's her. Everybody in the church, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Let's pray. Let's go down to the, let's go down to the mortuary. Let's pray her back. And you know how Christians are. We've got faith. Let's raise her from the dead. And everybody's raising her. From, we can raise her from the dead. And I'm like, okay, okay. But that's not what God told me. And they said, what do you mean? We've got the faith. I said, great, you can use your faith to raise it from there. I'm just telling you, the Lord told me it's settled, and I just need to be settled. All right, so they prayed, they laid hands, they did everything to raise her from the dead. She never came from the dead. Now in that moment, is God faithful or is He not faithful? Because the prayers we prayed, He didn't answer them. Because the prayers I prayed, He can't be faithful. She got killed by a drunk driver. He ain't a faithful God. I had to work myself through that. Your wife gets killed by a drunk driver. He's not faithful. I said that to him. Your word says your angels will keep charge over me. So you better believe this old boy had about four months of, I got to figure this God out. But I will tell you, he may have not felt faithful on May 19th, 1989. But on October the 29th, 2023, my God is faithful. You want me to tell you how I know? Because my, my bride, Monica, that we buried, that's still buried there, she's with a faithful God in the forever. And I guarantee you she doesn't want to come back to this old boy. Jesus or, or me, she's like, yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm left here. I'm left going, he's not faithful. He'll do you dirty. You can't trust him. But I thank God for people that kept me true to who his character was and not my crisis. Thank God for mothers and fathers of the faith that said, do not let your crisis ever define his character. Thank God for mothers and fathers of the faith that grabbed an old Bible and held the Bible up to me the day she died and said, I don't know if I can explain it, but I know his word is true and he's everything the Lord says he is. Now, I didn't feel that at the time. He didn't feel faithful then. But today, Robin is the love of my life. Couldn't have picked any better. Her teeth are perfect. Her nose is perfect. She's going to go on a date with me to La Pachapuchinella or whatever. I want to ask a question. I just need a yes or a no. I have a daughter named Olivia, a daughter named Sophia, a daughter named Victoria Kate, who's also called Lucy, who's also called V. Kate, who's also called Tora Kate, who's also called Kate. It's a confusing world. I have a daughter named Stella. I have a granddaughter named Johnny Love and a granddaughter named Montgomery James. Do you all love them or not? If God had answered my prayer in 1989, you wouldn't know them. You wouldn't be being blessed by Michael's singing. You wouldn't know me. You wouldn't know Robin. Do you see sometimes the prayers you think are so desperate, God's 20 years in the future working something so incredible, it will blow your mind. And if you don't get there, he is working something so powerful. He's 30 years ahead of you. If you'll hold on to him, you will get there and go, I don't know, back then he wasn't faithful, but whew, let me tell you what he has done for me. And, and those that seemingly Monica got ripped off, she's not ripped off, she's with the Creator. Me got left behind, I'm not ripped off, I'm having my best life down here. 
All right? Well, he's just, he's loving, he's compassionate, and I'm his. And he says, know me. Now take that prayer and look at it again. And rather than thinking of the crisis, I want you to look at it and listen. I'm going to read the words now. Transformed. He's going to lead you. He's going to speak to you. Give yourself to Him. He's faithful forever. He is just. He's loving. He's compassionate. You are His. Know Him. So, look at the TV. Pray. Now I want to tell you in the next four minutes what we're about to do with that card. I pray that what I share with you right now, you never, ever, ever forget it. Ever. To understand what I'm about to say about praying and why it's so critical for you to do it, we got to go to the last book of the Bible into a very strange passage to understand this green card you're holding. Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. We have, been, we have been invited into the heavenly realms. And in the heavenly realms, we see Jesus, we see the throne, we see the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the Spirit of God that sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped toward the throne and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a heart and they held gold bowls filled with incense. You ready? which are the prayers of God's people. That green card you're holding is about to go into the heavenly realm and it's going to be held by an angel and kept in a bowl. Don't you ever think God doesn't hear every prayer you pray. He is going to hold that prayer in a bowl. And you ready? And then another angel with the gold incense burner, came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him, mixed with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the golden altar before the throne. Get out of your mind that your prayer is a crisis. Your prayer is not a crisis, it's an offering. It is an offering that you present to God. And when it goes up into Him and it leaves the crisis of your moment and it enters into His character, I need you to get out of your mind that my prayers never get past the ceiling. God never answers my prayer. I don't know why He didn't do it for me. Every prayer you have given to Him is kept in a bowl and that bowl is mixed with a smell that goes before the altar and the angel of God kneels at the altar with a bowl of every prayer that has ever been prayed and the incense of that prayer comes up before the throne of the Creator God. Not one prayer you've ever prayed goes forgotten. Stop thinking about it's just the results. It's not results. It's the offering given to the Creator of the world. It's the offering that says, I can't do anything about it. Here it is, God. I cast it over on you. And then the angel grabs it. And the Spirit of God, get in your mind that this little green card that you're holding is about to go into the presence of Jesus Christ and the Spirit and the angels and the elders and it's going to be brought before the throne of God and put in a bowl and smoke is going to rise and the Creator is going to sniff and the incense of your prayer. And you think this is on you? You think you're the one that has to fix everything? Are we that narcissistic that we think it's just my prayer in the bowl? 
Every prayer of every human of all time has been gathered together in a bowl and it's mixed at the altar and laid at the foot of the Creator. Why? Because every angel trusts Him. Every elder trusts Him. The Son of God trusts Him. The Spirit trusts Him. Why not us? Why don't we trust Him? We don't trust Him because He didn't do it in time. We don't trust Him because He didn't do it my way. Give it to Him today. I wrote it out. Now, why should you pray? Because your prayer is an offering that goes to God in the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the angels, the elders, the altar, the incense, and the offering. Prayer puts me at God's throne. And all I would ask is when you get to the throne, do you want to be God or are you comfortable letting Him be it? Who's God when you get to the throne? You or Him? Trust Him. That's why we pray. We don't pray so He'll do it. We pray so it'll go before His throne and in His great compassion and justice and mercy and love and faithfulness, He will do exactly what needs to be done so that everybody in the equation wins. So there it is, God. I give you the sickness. I give you the disease. I give you the healing. And I believe this to be... Now watch. I could go on. I'm about to get Pentecostal up in here. At the moment it leaves my hand, look at who it passes through. The angels, the Spirit, Jesus, whoever intercedes for you. It leaves you and it goes into the heavenly realm. Stand up with me if you will. Michael, come with your team. Hold that card in your hand. It is going to become an offering today. Oh, I'm going to believe he'll do it. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. But I'm not looking for results. I'm looking to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I don't care how many times you've prayed. Well, he hadn't answered it. I've prayed 10 prayers. He's only answered six. I don't know. I'd, no, 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 no. You're letting your crisis define his character. You pray because he tells you to pray. You present it to him because he asks you to. Now, today, this is how we're going to come. Three supernatural things are about to happen. You're going to bring this green card and leave it at the communion table as an offering. You're going to bring a monetary offering because that's what we've been asking everybody to do, whether you bring it here or do it online. That monetary offering is supernatural. It's connecting you to His intervention. And then after you leave the offering of your prayer and the offering of your work, Reach over into that basket and either take a one already pre-prepared or the bread and then dip it into the juice. And as you do, you believe that that prayer and that offering goes to the throne of God. And the care has been cast over on Him. And every time you get nervous, fearful, anxious, depressed, I don't want you to start thinking, where is God? I want you to start seeing your little prayer in a soup bowl up in heaven. I don't know who this is for, but I want to ask you to think about this if you'll close your eyes a moment. I just picture in my mind, I don't know how this goes up there, but I do read that my prayers are gathered in a bowl and brought to an altar. I don't know what every Tuesday they do this. I don't know. But I, I'll tell you what I don't want is when they're gathering the prayers, my angel shows up and they go, hey, where's Mark's prayers? Uh, he quit. What do you mean he quit? He's been praying a long time. I don't know. He just, I heard him tell somebody that he, he didn't even trust you do it. And he's just kind of a little ticked at you. So he didn't give me any prayers. Matter of fact, he hadn't given me some prayers in a couple of months. He actually told somebody he doesn't even know if he believes anymore. 
I would just like to ask whoever that is, is that your testimony in heaven that when it comes time to gather the prayers, you don't have any in the bowl? Because you got your feelings hurt? Because he didn't do it your way? Put your prayer in that bowl today and watch what the Creator God can do. He can do more than you could ever do. He can stop the sun if He wants to. Now give Him your faith. Now that card is your faith. It's not your crisis, it's your faith. So stop thinking this is my crisis, this is my faith. Now Lord, we hold in our hand this card. And it says, what do you want God to do? And we're about to give it to you as an offering. We're going to let the fear go, the torment go, the anxiety go, the depression go, and the what if go. And we're going to present it as an offering, believing that the angels and the Spirit and the Lamb of God bring this to the bowl in heaven and present it before God Almighty as an offering. I bless the physical offering of our labor, the money, that God, you will take it and return it back to every giver today, their businesses, their employment. I bless the communion that as we dip this bread into this juice, we realize it's not about us, it's all about you. And I thank you that we will see great testimony come of this day. And I say in the name of Jesus as a shepherd over this house, never stop praying. Don't ever quit believing. Stretch your faith and present your prayers to Him in faith that He's a forever faithful God. And you will never be disappointed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may come for prayer. You may come to bring your offerings and bring your card and just lay your...